wonderful and sumptuous music means it is time once again for another episode, the fifth and all of News Talks SSE or Tristy League of Ireland podcast. Now available, give us five stars on iTunes. Oh, five, stars. Again. five stars, please. Rate five us, subscribe, stars. and get us somewhere in the charts so we can make us feel like big men, uh, which ordinarily we wouldn't. We mentioned last week that we had pulled level with four glorious weeks of the Chevy Chase show on Fox from 1992 or three direction. Uh, this week, good news. Another landmark milestone. We have reached the same amount of episodes as Up Late with McBain. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's nice. Woo-hoo. The who speaks volumes there, to be fair. That's, that's a decent measure of what we've achieved so far in this rinky-dink little podcast. Rate us five stars. Please subscribe on iTunes. Um, are we being clear that that's what's happening this week is that we are now on bona fides. We we're made yeah. men to use mafia parlance. We're now on iTunes and um, we'd love you to give us five stars and listen and I am not above begging. Listen, if you do give us five stars, what we'll do to each and every one of you, mentally anyway, yeah. is give you five karmic stars, which is what we'll do for the commentary on this wonderful goal. Monaghan plays a beautiful three ball here to Patterson. Patterson the shot off the post from Roy Patterson. Take it to us. Goal! Goal! Dyson, you're back in this! Oh, my God! That, that is, a, now, <laughs> that you, is fantastic you, stuff. You're a man who commentates. I am. That's how you do it. Just so for further notice. That's how I do it from here on in. Please. The Drive 105 commentary team, by the way, from Derry. They cover every Derry game. I've met these guys up and down the country. They do a fantastic job. Fair play, lads. And yeah, if you are a member of any of those uh, commentary teams, and there are several who look after the coverage of games for each individual club, whether it's online or whether it's uh, on the radio, uh, well done you. Fantastic job you're all doing. And I genuinely uh, mean that. You're just coming across as patronising. Ah, no, it is. It's a good service, to be honest with you. And I've I've previously commented before that some clubs are kind of better than others in terms of what they do in terms of their coverage, uh, be it on radio and be it online. I know Twitter is a thing that some clubs are pretty slow to pick up on, but now it seems across the board has improved. Well, I've always said that there's no point in whinging about the coverage that you don't get when you can actually take charge of it yourself. Cork City do a commentary of games, for example, David Kent is involved. I know we know David because his sister used to work here, but... It's still a great service. It doesn't, it, you know, the nepotism doesn't take away from the service. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen lots of people from different clubs um, get involved over the past while and almost take the reins and ensure that their club is uh, catered for properly. And it does come in handy uh, for people especially who aren't based in this country anymore, one of whom we'll be speaking to on this week's edition of the podcast. That's right. Eamon Donoghue, former producer of Monday Night Football, that's now Soccer Republic. He now works for BBC in Scotland on Scottish football. Also, He's an author. He is. Big Longford Town fan as well. And he lives in a Linton Travel Tavern on he the does. outskirts of Edinburgh. He, I, I actually, he was very glad of the call to come on the show because he told me he had got very bored and he just dismantled his Corby trouser press. And before we caught him, he was on his way out to buy some tungsten tip screws from B&Q. Don't know why. Never going to use them. Never going to use them. Impact. Bang. Lock. <laughs> Will we find out what happened this week with the rap? Let's go around those games, one of which didn't happen due to a waterlogged pitch up in Finn Park. But let's find out what else happened from this man to my right. Caroline, the arse is ripped out of me trousers here. Five goals from five for Maguire. He's missed it straight at the goalkeeper. It's a really poor penalty. Uh, well, I th- if he dives the other way, it's a great penalty. Well, true, yeah. You know, right, but a no. uh, slinger man redeems himself there with a you know comfortable save, really. So Cork City are held scoreless in Sligo. That's the Ocean FM commentary team, by the way, describing it. Connor O'Grady alongside Dara Cox. O'Grady, obviously, a former City player. Now, Michal Schlingerman made that uh, very good save from Sean Maguire. So, 
If City get a penalty at home to 9th place Wexford Hughes this Friday at the cross, does Maguire take the spot kick having had one saved last week? Here is City manager John Caulfield. Coming home on the bus, every, every other fella should take the penalty because they'd have scored. You know, the obvious one, you know, to, to be fair to poor old Shawnee, you know, whereas, you know, against Dundalk, he couldn't do anything wrong. So it was just, you know, it was, it was just unfortunate. And he didn't strike it very well. But look at him. Um, we've been up to lads who take penalties, but, you know, you know, it's easy to, 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 to talk on the bus and afterwards it's, it's in the moment and we'll wait and see until 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 Friday if the opportunity arises. Cork City are now fourth, three points behind Dundalk and Derry and two behind Shamrock Rovers who go to Derry. Both City and Rovers have a game in hand. It's actually against each other. Sligo are bottom but after three draws in a row they're just one point behind 11th place Longford. We'll talk more about Longford later by the way. Here's Bitter Red boss Dave Robertson on their position ahead of Friday's trip to St Pat's we've put an edge on things we've made sure that, that the players are right first and foremost but um, but more importantly the players are happy and comfortable in the environment and um, and that's exactly what they've what they've been I have to say you know for me it's a, it's a good point I would have liked three I'm sure John Caulfield would have liked three um, but we've had a strong Cork City side here and we've, we've come away with a point we've only been beaten once in four games here at the showgrounds this season Now a card happy referee was the main talking point after Dundalk's one all draw with Derry at Oriel Park here's the view of Stuart Byrne who was speaking to Off the Ball's Tuesday night League of Ireland slot he talked about refereeing at large this game by the way produced 13 yellow cards including two each for Dundalk's Chris Shields and Derry's Conor McCormack first let's hear what Candy Stripes boss Kenny Shields had to say about the refereeing uh, afterwards, he chatted with RTE TV. I know, imagine uh, getting booked after three minutes. <laughs> Your captain gets booked after three minutes for his first tackle, which wasn't reckless or vicious or anything like that. So I think from the first whistle, the referee maybe got a little bit uh, overawed by being on television and all that stuff. I'm not saying that's the case, but I'd give that give out that impression. I, I thought he was quite kind, to be quite honest with Joe. I thought he... He held himself back. I, w- I would have been absolutely livid if that was me because it's just from a dirty point of view, um, the first yellow card of the game was against Ryan McBride, which um, I still can't understand as to why the referee has booked Ryan McBride. Um, but he has after three minutes for a fairly innocuous um, uh, tackle. He wasn't even anywhere near the ball. But, but Conor um, McCormick's second yellow card was... I don't know if you've seen it. I saw you on TV talking about it. I have to say I disagreed slightly with you. With Shields, I think you probably disagreed with. The one, the one where he had his hand wrapped around. Yeah, that's Shields. That's Chris Shields. That's a, yeah. that's a second yellow. For, that, I thought. For, look, I, you were making the point. You thought it was harsh, and maybe the referee should have shown some common sense and not gone uh, for the I, yellow. But, yeah. I, but I just thought you can't wrap your hand around the leg either. Yeah, well, you're probably wrong, Joe. I'm not sure. Well, I'm not <laughs> as sure. well as everybody else. I know. <laughs> I know the two guys, the, the guys in soccer public, but uh, defended it as well. But I just personally felt as a midfielder, he's, he's coming on the blind side, of knocked him off balance. Your initial reaction is to try and get a hold of something, and I do, I do Can't agree. Grab the player. Though. Oh no, I agree. It's a foul, but I don't think. It's, I think it's definitely a, a situation where the referee needs to show um, a little bit of experience and common sense. Say, listen, Chris. I've just booked you. That's it. Like you know, mm. See, but instead he was yeah. just dying to get the yellow card out, and th- it's exactly what he's done for McCormick. Stuart Byrne on refereeing standards in the aftermath of the Dundalk Derry game. Kenny Shields gave a frank assessment after that match, and frank assessments have kind of been his thing throughout his management career. Later, we'll be asking, who is Kenny Shields? 
uh, we'll be talking with someone who has followed his career, especially in management, very closely. Galway United, fifth, three points off the top after their 2-0 loss against Shamrock Rovers last weekend. They host seventh place Finn Harps on Friday and manager Tommy Dunn told Galway Bay FM they must learn the lessons of last Friday's trip to Tala and indeed the season so far. We need to be careful that we don't get ahead of ourselves. It's grand having expectations, but it's also good that you have realistic expectations. The last couple of games, the last three games, there's been little little things creeping in that I don't like. You, you can't be giving up chances and, and easy chances. We need to eradicate that and we need to make sure that we're a dogged team first and then when we can play, we play. But we need to be a winning team and you need to be... Uh, ruthless at both ends of the pitch. Ah! <laughs> oh, what a week it was. Ushin there summing everything up within the space of what we call the rap. Well what, done, Ushin. What was your favourite part of the rap, Richie? Uh, do you know when he gave the results and he said <laughs> what happened? That was my favourite part. And uh, what did you make of what Stewie said on Off the Ball on Tuesday night? Obviously, we're talking about this on a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, because that's when we always do it, start to finish. That's how we do this podcast. Let's not ruin the magic on anyone. So obviously you know what Stewie has said on Off the Ball because you've heard it because this is quite clearly Wednesday and not Tuesday and we're not doing this a little bit earlier no. and in patches because you're going off on your holidays. I think Stewie is uh, more than within yeah. his rights to follow up on what he said on Soccer Republic which was against referee Paddy Sutton from the Dundalk Derry game who had an appalling night uh, 13 yellow cards and all. Yeah. So Stewie with what he said on Tuesday's edition <laughs> he, of the League of Ireland segment on Off the Ball was yeah. 100% right. But, but I think he went into it a bit more he talked in a bit more detail so I'd be interested to get your reaction yeah. to that because you definitely heard Stewie because we're not doing this on a Tuesday no. before Stewie has talked on Off the Ball No this isn't uh, four hours before Stewie arrives into studio to record that piece so yeah. it would be wrong of us to suggest that it is and I think Stewie had a lot of good points I don't think many of them uh, the nuance of which can be uh, gotten into in great yeah. detail to be honest with you on a, on a shortened podcast when we've got good guests to uh, to really get to this week Bullshit man uh, Stewie you can listen back to that piece in full of course on, uh, on newstalk.com forward slash listen back uh, if needs be. Stewie's yeah. a good man. And you won't have to do that, obviously, because... No, I heard it all. <laughs> yes, I was in the studio. Because this is not Tuesday. No. Uh, this is not a day before we normally record the podcast. We're not patching it together no. and you're not away on holidays. No, I, I'm merely not okay. wanting to double up on what I said to Stewie at the time when he said those words in studio live on the Tuesday night. That is fair enough. I'm not linking to Damien Lynch on Tuesday and then recording the interview on Wednesday. Damien, uh, what did you think of the sendings off and the yellow cards Dundalk against Derry because that is the talking point of last weekend as we head into next weekend. Can I go now? No, Damien's on now. I, I thought the game itself, if we look at the game in isolation first, I thought the referee had a very average night. Um, absolutely card happy. When you look at the sending off for Conor McCormick, just baffling the second yellow card that he got. Um, and I, you just can't justify, no matter what angle you look at, the guy literally was just running alongside him. A guy bumped into him. He gets a, ye- a yellow card and gets sent off. That's just unacceptable. I thought he was spot on with the with the sending off of Shields. Um, they, they were two definite yellows. But I think overall, it was just a, a stop-start type of game that he was a bit finicky with the whistle. He, he was blown for every little thing. But I think Dundalk are going to have to put up with that this year. If you heard Stephen Kenny afterwards, he was complaining 
not necessarily complaining, but he was he was challenging that the game was very stop start. And if I was going out to, to face Dundalk, I'd be the exact same little niggly fells that you can slow the game down. The one thing you don't want is getting them up into their into their speed and into their stride. So I thought it was a very average performance from the referee. And overall within the league, I think that the standard is 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 about average. Um, yeah. But it's a very difficult task, and I think it's very easy for uh, people like myself sitting here saying they should be doing this, they should be doing that. I don't think players are helping them anymore. I don't think managers help them in terms of how they contest decisions that they know aren't correct. Um, and then when they actually do contest a decision that they, they genuinely feel is wrong, um, they, they feel really hard done by there. So I have a bit of sympathy with the referees here. Whilst the, the standard is, can, be, can be average enough, um, I think football players and football managers need to have a look at themselves first and, and get things in order before they just start blatantly blaming referees for everything because I just think it's too easy a solution to, to, to go down the referee route. You're kind of making yourself the Joe Brawley of Electricity League punditry by saying that uh, technically inferior teams might look at Dundalk who are superior to most sides and they've got a better squad than most sides with the exception maybe of Cork City, maybe of Shamrock Rovers at a stretch St. Pat's but look that's a, that's a different debate and they're looking and they're saying let's commit little fouls, cynical fouls that'll stop Dundalk getting into a flow. I really thought we only did that in GAA. No, not at all. That's an, and God, being compared to Joe Brawley, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not too sure, but um, I think well, I remember playing against them. Like we were in a fear opposition, particularly in European games when we were setting up against some of the big things. You just want to make sure that you get respite throughout the game. And the big thing is, if you go a transition of play where the, the other team has the ball for five, six minutes. It, it really wears you down in terms of the closing down you have to do in terms of how you have to move your shape. So, no, that's an abs- absolutely in soccer. I think it's something that you want, uh, when you're the inferior team, you want the ball to be out of play. You want little free kicks. You just need to, to tread carefully because, as we see nowadays, you can pick up yellow cards for very little things. So, And that's that's trying to manage game management in terms of managing the fine line between giving away a little foul and it's not... Um, uh, the third fell where you're going to get a yellow card there. So, yeah, it, it definitely goes on in the game. And um, unfortunately, people will say that's not the way you should play football. When you're in an inferior side, that's how you have to play the game because if you go head-to-head and just go out and play football, you're, you're going to lose. And, and nine times out of ten, as we've seen in the last two years, if Dundalk get, in, get into their stride and get a, get a game plan going, they'll just win the game um, easily. So if I was a manager or, or a player or a captain, I'd be sitting there saying, just do whatever you can to stop them getting into their flow. Stand on Ronan Finn's toes, make it awkward for them. If Daryl Horgan gets on the ball, don't be afraid to leave one on him early in the game that he knows he's in for a, a tough night. And It's the, uh, the ugly side of the game, but it's something that's, that's necessary. Is that something that really frustrated you when you were playing for St. Pat's? Is it something that you had to really work hard to rise above? And if so, how did you rise above it? How did you not get frustrated? How did you not let this impact negatively on your results and your performances? And I, I think that's really important. I think as leaders in the team have to make sure that you don't get frustrated overall. I think once a foul is given away, the only way you can counteract it if you are the team that, that's uh, technically better is just getting the game started really, really quickly. Um, looking at the Champions League last night, when you look at Barcelona, the ball boys literally were getting the ball back into play within five seconds of it going out. And that's that, just keeping the pace of the game up. So when you're in the, in the position where you, you're, you're getting really frustrated by this, you can't let it uh, affect your game 
game. You just need to keep doing the same thing over and over again, getting the, the, your flair players the ball as much as you can. And it's all about getting a pace of the game. I think it's used in football quite a bit to determine what sort of the, the pace of the game is very fast. If you're the top team, you want the pace of the game to be absolutely as fast as you can possibly make it because that's when other teams won't be able to live with you, um, moving the ball quickly. And, and that's how you overcome this. You, if a free kick happens, you get the ball as quickly as possible. You put your hand on it and you just pass it to the next fella nearest to you and just keep the ball moving. Uh, the worst thing you can do in that situation is complain. You end up... Um, spending time complaining but by the time you've done that the other team have probably got two banks of four behind the ball their centre forward has dropped back in as well and it's very hard to break down again so um, that's how you'd overcome it Ocean. you just need to keep going keep moving the ball fast and um, I don't think Dundalk did enough of that I think that the sending off the other night really really um, sort of hampered Dundalk in terms of get, getting up and getting into the flow uh, really played into Derry's hands Should we worry about Dundalk's home form they've now lost to Cork City and drawn with Derry. Those are games that they would have won last season. And I appreciate that they're probably already sick of hearing that this season. Yeah, and but they're, they just have to put up with that, you know. Um, I heard other people saying they must be sick of people talking about Richie Tell leaving. That's, that's what's happened, and people will discuss it. A, a guy who has so many goals in a season is now gone. Where are them goals going to come from? Uh, I would worry about the home form um, overall. I think if there's any manager that I've played under Stephen Kenny for three years, if there's any manager in the league who can overcome um, the way, the the pressure that's going to be put on Dundalk this year, it's Stephen Kenny, probably the best man manager I've ever come under, uh, played under, he will be able to understand that they're not going to have the same season that they had last year where they go way ahead of everybody else. People are going to claw them back. They're missing tell, which is a big loss for them. Would I be overly worried? No, it's going to happen though. People are going to go to uh, Dundalk and, if you go to Dundalk now and go and try to take them on head to head, like I would question any manager in the league who does that. Even even Cork City, you have to have a game plan, make it really difficult for them. The pitch isn't great at the best of times, uh, even when it's very wet up there. Stay, stay in, play a defensive game, play on the break, make it awkward for them, and that's what Stephen Kenny's going to have to overcome this year. The more that they become this invincible side the more likelihood people are going to go with a very negative game plan that they have to overcome. And I think on the road this year when teams have to come out and play against them, I think that's when Dundalk will really open up. But I think we can get used to Dundalk finding it hard to win home games because of the way uh, their opposition is going to set up. How did Chelsea rise above that during Jose Mourinho's first stint? And he very famously said people come and they park the bus. Uh, But they got over it. They won matches. How did they do that? Can Dundalk draw anything from that? It's it's winning ugly when the the week it's not going to happen every week and and no team is going to you're not going to get ten games in a row at home where people get that to work particularly when if you can get that early goal um, if you saw the other night it was a simple a clear example of it the other yeah. night uh, their goal was from a quick free kick really quick thinking uh, Derry were after giving away uh, the free kick hand on the ball played it in McMillan finished abs- exceptionally well and afterwards if you listen to, to Kenny Shields he was saying how they had practiced setting up for set pieces, making sure they didn't give simple set pieces away. It's that quick thinking. Yeah. You just have to move the ball really quick. And then when, uh, when things are coming up against you, you need your centre-halves coming up to, win, to score goals uh, from set pieces. Like if you look at uh, Chelsea under uh, Jose Mourinho, how many times did John Terry pop up when it was a one-all game yep. or a nil-all? Uh, when that game was really, really tight, that he got a, a caused problems from a set piece. And when you look at Dundalk, they have the, the, the personnel to do that in Gartland and, and Boyle going forward. They're a real threat from set pieces. I know it's something Stephen Kenny spends an awful lot of long uh, time on in terms of how he preps for set pieces. When I was at Bowes with him, God, this is going back a long time. 
we used to spend two and three hours a day before a game practicing corners, throw-ins, uh, free kicks. Yeah. And he put, he's so meticulous that he knows that teams are going to set up against them this year, that they're going to have to look to get more goals from set pieces. And that's how you overcome it. And there are many fine examples. Robert Hooth and Wes Morgan from Leicester. Morgan giving us a reminder last week with his first goal of the season, but he does disrupt even when he goes up there and doesn't score. Gavin Pearce has done it in the past for Sligo. And of course, my own favourite memory of a centre-back coming up and scoring a header, Derek Cullen in the 98 Cup Final. Um, St. Right. Pat's taking on Sligo this week. Sligo uh, going in in a bit of form having got a draw against Cork City St. Pat's playing for the first time since that 4-0 defeat to Dundalk their game against Finn Harps um, postponed last week due to a waterlogged pitch it means they have a game on Friday and a game on Monday and having been pent up for so long I imagine they're frustrated and they want to get out there is the long wait a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing at this stage of the season. You don't really want to have to be playing, playing catch-up on games, particularly there's no other competitions that's distracting you. you. You want to be out and playing games. So they'll have been really disappointed that their game was off. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they react to, to the Dundalk results. We, my, I went to watch the game with yourself, which when we were looking at the Pats against Rovers. And um, without being overly impressive that night, they did enough. They sat back and they, they, they uh, put on a bit of pressure in terms of when they got, they got, they got the ball into the last third. Christy Fagan was exceptional that night, and he's just be, becoming better and better. Um, but I think they'll be they'll be really looking to recover from that result really quickly from from the Dundalk game. Um, and, and no better team to go up against than uh, than Sligo. Really disappointing start to the season. Um, yeah. Haven't won a game yet. When you look at the players that are in there, they, you look at Owen Heary last year being sacked uh, midway through the season. Um, I always thought that was a bad decision. If, if you hired Owen at the start of the year to to transform the club, you should have stuck with him, given him 12 months to get that right. They've now brought in uh, Dave Robertson, who's like, very experienced in terms of he's, he's managed in England. Um, but the results just don't look good at the moment. They, they've obviously uh, got a nil-nil, but if I'm saying Pats, I'm happy going into this game. You'll, you'll, they're really struggling to get win, uh, Sligo. So, and when I look through their team, um, it's, no one's jumping out to me that that's going to really step up and command and, and get them to turn the corner. So, huge challenge for Sligo this year. They're, they seem to be a club going from uh, worse to worse as the, as the seasons go on. And one last one before I let you go, Damien. Roddy Collins has received a massive fine. It's one that Waterford United can ill afford. No club, I imagine, actually could, uh, could afford it. Uh, Dermot Keeley has defended Roddy today in the sun. He has said himself that he never thought he'd be defending Roddy or that Roddy would be a unifying force. Uh, basically, the rule is you can't really criticise the league or the FAI, uh, but surely that's not right. Surely you have to be able to talk about issues like dressing rooms not being up to standards and the fact that volunteers have to keep clubs going. And if something's a shambles, then... You know, why not call it a shambles? If you're, if you're big enough, you should be able to take that criticism. But it doesn't seem the league are. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think it's an absolute disgrace to find that he got. Um, he should be allowed to give his opinion. Once it's a measured opinion, there's no individual personality he, he's criticising. I think if it's, a, if it's an overall opinion that, makes, that, that, is, that is valid, um, that can be backed up by a lot of people, I think it's, it's fair enough that he does that. I, I think the fine is, is a ridiculous amount of money when you look at how much that is and how much people are getting paid in the league and, and, and the prize funds and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's an absolute disgrace, the, the, the fine. But having said that, Oshin. I think people need to stop individually criticising things. If, if you look at the, the Managers Association there, I saw Pat Fenlon was, was interviewed and he was saying how the Managers Association need to come together and speak as a voice because then you can't find anyone. If, it, if it's the Managers Association of, of Ireland, 
uh, giving this opinion and criticising the league, they have to listen. You know, it's the same as the PFAI. Um, if, a, if it's a united front among the players that's criticising things, um, I think that's a better approach than just individual opinion makers going out and, and, and saying stuff, particularly people who are in the game. So I think there's a lot to be said. And, and listen, everyone knows that the league is an absolute shambles um, at times. The FAI haven't run it well uh, in the last five or six years and got probably the last 10 years. But it's no good just complaining. Like, what's the solution to all this? Yeah. Um, They've I, done an awful lot right, to be fair, as well. I mean... I know it's been tough, but we have gone through recession, etc. There are many historical reasons why things haven't been ideal. But it was just a point I wanted to raise about managers and their ability to speak up if they feel like it. Yeah, they should be allowed. Absolutely. Like what we we live in a society now where you should be allowed to speak your mind. Um, so uh, listen, going back to the point with Roddy, I, I think he shouldn't get that fine. I think the fine, if they are going to fine him and make a point about it, certainly the financial uh, repercussions shouldn't be as high as they are. Um, but it, it, it's the way this FAI works, um, particularly in the League of Ireland. You're either you're either with them or against them, and if you're against them, they'll just freeze you out of the game. They'll make it awkward for you. Listen, there's been plenty of people speaking about that in the last couple of weeks and months about how the FAI work. Um, so yeah, it's a huge challenge. Um, as you say, there has been huge progress at times when you look at certain things around the football in the country that probably doesn't get get highlighted enough. Um, so there's a, there's a there's a balance there that we need to strike. Um, but it's no good in just people shouting about it in, in an opinion piece. I think there needs to be a, co- a coherent approach that everyone comes together, understands, let's, let's define the problems and let's put a, a solution forward uh, to try and fix these problems. No good complaining and not having a solution about it. I think you've raised some very fair points there. Damien Lynch, former League of Ireland player and obviously Satanta sports analyst. As always, we, we really appreciate your time. Well, Shane, thanks, Mel. Take it easy. I believe you mean Oshin and Richie because uh, obviously Damien Richie is here. He's not on holidays. Cheers, Richie. Thanks a million. Really appreciate that. Yeah, he's nodding his head. <laughs> On a sun lounger. Richie, you're back. Where'd you get off the I just had to go and change some money in a high-class bureau de change. How many times only we get those references? That's fine. Like, if, if people haven't watched or are not a fan of fairly... Um, Don't say obscure. Relatively obscure. Niche. Yeah. Uh, comedy of the 90s from British TV or they weren't listening to last week's podcast and they won't have a clue what you are on about. If you are a fan of these references, give us a five-star rating on iTunes where the That's News Talk not, League of Ireland podcast now resides. Just coming across as desperate now. Five stars. But listen, I'm okay with that. Um, anyway, uh, the reason Richie has joined us again is, and I can tell you, and I can guarantee it's not that uh, we're recording it a day earlier uh, because Richie's going on holiday and we'll miss the day we normally huh? record it. Because no. obviously we sit down and we do this start to finish every week. We don't record it in patches and then patch it together. We're that pros. is not what happens. I can absolutely guarantee you that. Uh, Eamon Donoghue was the producer of Monday Night Football at one stage, Monday Night Soccer at one stage. Uh, it is now Soccer Republic. Uh, why are we talking to Eamon Donoghue? Well, he's now based at uh, the BBC in Scotland because he got ideas about himself and notions about himself <laughs> and he's over there now. Uh, but he knows Kenny Shields. And earlier on we were asking, who is Kenny Shields? And I think we got a little bit of an insight into the Derry City manager when he said this about the sending off uh, in the game against Dundalk last week. He was speaking to RTE TV. They both bombed it together, two bombs. And that's a clip that you heard earlier in the podcast, but I thought it important, to Eamon, to uh, play it again because you would know Kenny Shields from his time in charge of Kilmarnock where he won a League Cup and indeed his ch- time in charge at uh, Greenock Morton. But he was constantly in trouble 
with the SFA. He was a bit of a rebellious figure. Yeah, he was. He definitely was. And it, it sort of led to his demise um, in part as Kilmarnock manager less than 18 months after winning the League Cup. And Kilmarnock aren't a side that you know, are, are used to winning silverware. I think they've won three senior trophies in their history. And you know, less than a year and a half after uh, he delivered the League Cup to them beating Celtic 1-0 at Hamden, um, he was out of a job. Uh, the statement that Kilmarnock released at the time was suggested that it was for football and regulatory purposes or reasons uh, that led to his sacking. But I think uh, there, was, there was a heavy onus on, on the regu- regulatory reasons because uh, I think towards the end of the 2012-2013 season, the club sort of ran out of patience with his, his constant uh, uh, remarks in the press post-match. And um, Were his remarks constantly in reference to officials or was it about his oh, own no, players? What was it about? I mean, no, see, I think... I should say, I mean, Kilmarnock are what you might call my team in law. My wife's family are all season ticket holders at Rugby Park, so I sort of uh, take a, a special interest in him. Um, Kilmarnock fans loved him because he was so passionate, and you know he really loved managing Kilmarnock. And I don't think that was, you know, a, a glib remark he ever made when he said he considered it an honour to manage the club. And likewise, when he sacked, he said he was heartbroken, and I think people genuinely meant it because they loved him because he was, you know passionate, he was quirky, you know, it wasn't unknown to see him out on the streets of Kilmarnock trying to sell season tickets to passing punters, you know, because he really, really believed in the club, and he, he was somewhat intense, and that intensity, I think, led him to probably over-vigorously defend, you know, his players, his team, and what he saw as somewhat sort of injustices. So to answer your question, no, I mean, he had um, a, an over and back with uh, Pat Fenlon when he was manager of Hibs, about uh, Hibbs winger called Paul Kearney, who he outright accused of diving and cheating. Um, in his post-match interview, he said it, which is fine. You know, everyone gets emotional occasionally in, in these situations, and uh, you'd think he'd probably reflect on that. But in a column in the newspaper the next day, he reiterated it uh, because he just felt so strongly. Um, I mean, he's had uh, ongoing battles with several managers, Neil Lennon famously. He's had many remarks about him. Uh, when Paolo Sergio was manager of Hearts, uh, he sort of made some... Uh, ill-advised, unwelcome remarks about sort of the boardroom structure at Hearts and how um, people above the first team manager were allegedly picking the team. You know things he did probably didn't necessarily need to say, but he always he always felt that he had to get things off his chest. And referees were were, were quite often the brunt of it. He, he once famously walked out of a BBC Radio live interview when he was fielded an innocuous question about a refereeing decision in his game. Um, you know, and something that most managers would just take and bat away in a very diplomatic way. He was just too emotional, and he actually just walked away. He he couldn't handle it. Um, did he ever learn his lessons from that? Who knows? Because he went on to manage Morton. Yeah, I was just going to say, where, where did Morton go wrong from then? Well, it's hard to say. You'd imagine. I mean, his track record at Kilmarnock was good. You know, he, he played very good football. And you know, he seemed to have what you call a, a zero tolerance policy on, on Route One. Uh, often with sort of disastrous consequences, you'd see the defenders and, and goalkeepers trying to play their way out of positions where you sort of conventional wisdom would just say booted into the stand. But you know that was sort of totally alien to his football principles. So he always played good football, and you think going to Martin, who have a you know a good tradition that uh, it would have worked. He signed some experienced players. He brought in Gary O'Connor, Doogie Emery, uh, but it it just it it didn't it didn't happen for him. Um, uh, I think at the end of the season, I think they were beaten something like 10 2 by uh, Hamilton Ackes, who got promoted that season. And uh, it just sort of summed up a very unhappy six months. It's very hard to put your finger on what went wrong for him. I guess, you know, he's he's an interesting guy, and maybe 
he went in and he inherited a dress from a players who don't necessarily believe in him or maybe were a bit swayed by the, the sort of the, the media caricature of him, but it didn't quite happen for him. But I think I have to say I think Derry will be a good fit for him because um, you know, he really believes in, in community in the community of his club. When he was actually sacked by Kilmarnock, he did a television interview still wearing his Kilmarnock tracksuit. So it was either later that day or the next day, you know, for a TV interview in Vision, he still put on the Kilmarnock tracksuit because you know, he was just so heartbroken. Yeah. There's a touch uh, of Brian Clough about him. I was by just the thinking the same thing, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, there is a little bit, but um, he's, he's, he's a, his personality is different to Brian Clough. Um, I think he's a, he's a much uh, sort of more gentle, he's a much more gentle soul, I would say, than Brian Clough. You know, the 2012 League Cup final, which you know, we said they won, was actually you know, a really bittersweet occasion for that, that group of players because Liam Kelly, who was a commanding midfielder, played at the day, on the day. His father suffered a heart attack on the full-time whistle in the stands at Hamden and actually subsequently died there in the stadium. Um, so Kenny had to deal with that at the time because his team had just won the League Cup, so he had to pull Liam Kelly away and explain the situation and not let the rest of the squad know what had happened because he didn't want, you know, in the moment they were going to find out, and in the moment I think he didn't want the rest of the squad to feel that they couldn't enjoy something that you know many of them will never achieve again and haven't achieved again. Uh, and in fact, he personally didn't get involved in any of the celebrations at the time. So there's no footage, there's no photographs of Kenny Shields with the League Cup at Hamden on his greatest moment because he chose to stay away from that because I think he's, a, he's, he's quite a compassionate guy. You know, He's misguided sometimes in the way he brings it across, but he's a very decent man. And I think in the coming weeks, there was a difficult balancing act for him and for the club to... to you know, to maintain because they had just won something, but it was tainted with this, you know, really deep personal human tragedy. And I think he got a lot of plaudits, you know, for the way he dealt with that. It's interesting you say he's had a bit of a tete-a-tete with uh, Pat Fenlon in the past because, coincidentally, and genuinely, I actually didn't even think of this before we recorded this, they play Shamrock Rovers this weekend at the Brandywell. Is he the kind of guy to let that kind of stuff go, or do you yeah. think we might see something spill over? Because we've seen in the past, Pat Fenlon can be quite fiery as well. No, I, I think I think there's a lot of water under the bridge there too, and you know I mean, that one's probably going back three and a half, nearly four years. So I don't um, I don't envisage anything there. I know Pat Fenlon isn't the type of guy that you know carries grudges around with him to that extent. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be you know, a warm handshake and um, there'll be no animosity there at all. What about managers in uh, Scotland? It seems to be that if you're from outside of Scotland, if you're from outside of that circle, it's very hard to get in. It's even harder to stay in and they're looking for excuses to hunt you away. Stephen Kenny joins a list that Kenny Shields is on and maybe Pat Fenlon as well. Uh, One of the things I've always enjoyed over the last couple of years is any time anyone brings up uh, Pat Fenlon in a negative sense when talking about his time in Scotland, I love to hit back with. Let me see. They were in the Premiership when he was there, and then when he left, what happened? What happened? Oh, that's right. They dropped. Yeah, he also got them to two cup finals as well, um, which can't be understated, mind you. They did famously, and one of them let themselves down very badly, and they had an extremely embarrassing European um, result against Malmo. They were beaten seven nil at home, nine nil in aggregate. So um, it's a it's a difficult one to sum up. But certainly. At the time, there was a feeling that Pat's time at Hibs had, had come to an end. They were beaten in an Edinburgh derby by uh, Hearts in the, in the League Cup quarter-final in a game that they should have won. Hearts were so under strength that season. Hibs should have been probably 5-0 up after 20 minutes. Ryan Stevenson, the Hearts player, scored a goal from about 30 yards midway through the second half, and Hibs couldn't react. And it sort of just sort of told the tale that maybe 
Pat's race was run at Hibs at the time and he subsequently offered his resignation. Uh, and the feeling at the time was that's probably that probably makes sense, but hindsight, as you know, is twenty twenty because that summer they were relegated um, uh, in a playoff against Hamilton Ackies. And they didn't get up last season and they're running out of steam this season under Alan Sub and it looks like they probably might not get promoted again. So um, the, I guess the, the full contribution of Pat Fennan as Hibbs is, uh, is, a, is a matter of opinion. I certainly think you know, you know, he did quite a good job over the piece. It's seen as almost a natural progression that if a manager almost outgrows himself within the League of Ireland that the next possible step from, unless it's like Paul Cook to a lower league English side, is, is to go towards Scotland. How big a difference, because you've seen a lot of Scottish football obviously over the last couple of years, how big a difference is there maybe perhaps between the first division and the Premier Division here, or is there that big a gap between the two Premier Divisions? Um, overall, I'd say the Scottish Premier Division is, is, is a little better, not massively. You know, I would fancy the Dundalk team of last season, you know, to beat anybody over here, probably with the exception of Celtic. Um, you know, Aberdeen are very strong, but, you know, say in a, in a cup tie, in a one-off, I would fancy Dundalk could beat them. Um, it's probably it's probably further down the league you get where you see the differences. The teams lower down in the Premiership here would be considerably better than the teams lower down in the Premiership in the Premier League at home. You know, the likes of Longford Town, Westwood Youth, who are part time, wouldn't probably be able to compete. You know, with say Kilmarnock, who are second bottom at the minute. Definitely with Dundee United, they were bottom of the table, but in something of a false position. Even the Hamilton Ackies, who are third from bottom. You know, they're a full-time team, they've got some good players, uh, and just the advent of being sort of a full-time professional club with a bit more strength and depth, you know, those three teams at the bottom, you know, would be, you know, considerably better than the, the bottom three teams at home. Um, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people over here can possibly sympathise with or empathise with or you know, at least connect with is supporting a club from outside the country. There'd be a lot of Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United fans, etc., etc., etc. The whys and wherefores that we'll get into another day, I suppose. What's it like, as Oshie mentioned, you're a Longford Town man. Uh, what's it like as somebody outside of the country looking back in to try and follow their side? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy to be honest. Uh, it's certainly not easy when um, you're, you know, watching live score on a Friday night and checking Twitter, uh, and <laughs> you find your team is losing every week. <laughs> uh, that's not uh, that's not enjoyable. Uh, you know, it's 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 not easy. Uh, you know, I kind of watch the live games now and again I watch Soccer Republic as often as I can so I keep in touch uh, and then try to get back for games as much as possible but you know there's no substitute for being able to get along and watch your team lose in the flesh rather than watch them lose on the internet What's your prediction for Longford this season? Uh, I have to say I'd be very surprised if they stay up Um, I think the squad is weaker than it was last year last year you know overall the league position was good. Uh, it probably papered over some cracks. You know, the, they hit a bit of form at the tail end of the season to, you know, consolidate their place. But probably six or seven games from the end, you know, they hadn't won in a long time, 12 or 13 matches. And you're starting to think that relegation might be, you know, might be a very real concern. That didn't happen. They got some form. You know, they finished um, what, sixth or seventh. And you think for for first season back, okay, that's acceptable. Now you look to push on. But overall it looks like the opposite might have happened because the squad is probably weaker than it was last season. Uh, it's certainly younger. Um, and so op- the optics for me, as looking from the outside, are that things have, it's, it's almost a retrograde step this season compared to last year. But hope springs eternal. You never know. I think to finish off the bottom of the table, 
would should be the first uh, the first priority, and not being in the playoff would be amazing. But I don't see it. Eamon, I remember in my younger days when I was, you know, a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, and I go to a, a match or two as a fan as opposed to in a working capacity. And there was one or two occasions where we would sing at the Longford fans, "Why don't you go back to Dublin?" Now the obvious joke there is that. Longford were practically a Dublin club because all of their players were based in Dublin and they even trained in Dublin. When you look at the likes of Wexford Youths and Waterford United, it's something they've started to do. I know they're in the first division, but I know it's something that uh, Roddy has spoken about and, and maybe other clubs like Finn Harps and see the local links that they have. And this is something they've they've looked at and said, right, we actually need to bring players through from the region. Is that something you're jealous of? Is that something that you think Longford Town haven't done enough of is there's still too much of a reliance on kind of ah look we're close enough to Dublin that we'll get players down and you know we don't really have to get players from the local region or are there other factors I appreciate it's a very wide question but I'd be very curious to, to, to get your opinion as a man who's followed Longford good and bad all your life yeah well I suppose you just sort of get used to the, the, the climate is that there has never been a sufficient critical mass of players in the locality good enough to break in uh, and you, you kind of make peace with that. It'd be amazing if someday there were 11 Longford players uh, in a Longford Town team that was competitive. But, you know, base principles are you need to be successful. Um, and that, you know, in turn, if you can achieve that, then the next step is, OK, we'll have you build from the bottom. Has there ever been many locals? Well, Sean Prunty was a local player. Um, you know, one of the, I guess, uh, you know, heroes of... of, of um, Longford's League of Ireland uh, era since the mid eighties. But he's idolised because he's a local boy and he's seen as the rarity, I suppose. Is it? Yeah, and you know, I'm, obviously he's a very good player and you know a very nice guy and very approachable and, and he was always a very popular figure and you know you still see him down at games. Um, but you know, overall, Adrian Murphy was was a player that seemed to be you know quite a good prospect um, when you know around two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, under Alan Matthews, but didn't really get a chance and went to Atlone, scored a lot of goals for Atlone Town um, and had a spell with Kildare County, had a spell with UC, never really, never really kicked on in the Premier Division level, which maybe would lead you to believe that, you know, as much as the romantic notion was that he would break into the first team and score a lot of goals, um, he probably was a first division player at a time when Longford Town were winning cups, so maybe maybe he wasn't quite there, but it's, it's obviously not a quick fix to put the structures in place uh, you know, to build something like that. When you talk about coincidences, Stephen Kenny's Dundalk comes to Longford this weekend, and that was something Stephen Kenny tried to do, and that's what made him so popular. Um, a figure when he was manager of Longford Town is he really tried to embed himself into the community, you know, um, and he tried to attract, you know, have some local players involved in the squad, and he really wanted to build build something up, and, you know, he really devoted himself to that, and that's why he was so popular, but uh, he left for Bowles. Uh, and for reasons I've wouldn't be qualified to comment on. It's never really uh, happened since. Eamon, before we let you go, uh, before we let you get back to the old day job in BBC Scotland Sport up there as well. Notions. Yeah? Notion, total notions, notions as well. We'll further those notions by mentioning that Eamon's also a published novelist as well. Well, I wasn't going to bring it up. But, oh, listen, uh, I, th- I thought I'd be kind enough to do it on your behalf and mention your book and wonderful <laughs> book it is too, Cabra Cadabra. Yes, indeed, Cabra Cadabra. It's about uh, two months in the lives of a couple of Bohemians fans, so uh, League of Ireland fans would uh, get a particular uh, kick out of it, I hope. Um, uh, but everyone, maybe anyone who sort of enjoys reading, uh, might uh, like it. It's a, it's a comedy. It's a bit, uh, what would we say, um, 
to be the language is a bit choice it's not something you should buy for your gran uh, or even your mother that surprises uh, me coming from you now to be fair I'm very <laughs> I'm very mild polite uh, young man is, uh, <laughs> I, I can see how that would be mild polite young none of these things apply <laughs> comedy it's about uh, two months uh, in the lives of a couple of bohemians fans from cabra uh, hence the name uh, and so it's available to your usual ebook stockists and also to my brand new brand spanking new website edonahoe.com for a hard copy if you want one you can get one there and i might even sign it for you if you do that so hang on a second two young lads who are quite foul-mouthed and like a, a drink or two hard drinkers i might say they'd never fit in where you're currently living in scotland would they no, they wouldn't. I mean, Scotland, uh, you know, has uh, a lot of stereotypes uh, and that is certainly one of them. Whether it's well-founded or not, it's not for me to say. Eamon, one last question before we let you go. Uh, what do you think of the pedestrianisation of Longford City Centre? <laughs> Dead against it. <laughs> Eamon Donoghue, thanks for joining us and um, best of luck in your continuing adventures with the BBC and indeed as an author. Cheers, lads. Well, Eamon is bang wrong. Uh, and I could go into the myriad reasons as to why he is about the pedestrianisation of Longford City Centre. I think he's right. You know, what about women and, and, and kids in the prams and Listen, folk I'll, like that? Listen, we're, we're not going to get in. Again, the nuances of this discussion are too great uh, to want to, you know, spend just merely 30 seconds on a podcast wittering on about. Instead, what we'll say is thank you to Eamon. Do check out his book, Cabracadabra, on Amazon.com and other good reputable retailers, including his own website as well and give us five stars on iTunes. Please do. The fixtures this weekend. On Friday night, Cork City taking on Wexford Dudes. Derry City meet Shamrock Rovers. Galway United play Finn Harps and St. Pat's take on Sligo. On Saturday night, Bray Wanderers meeting Bohemians. Bray need a win to bounce back from that defeat last weekend. Longford taking on Dundalk as uh, Stephen Kenny brings his current team to his old team. But then again, that's something we could say about many fixtures uh, that Dundalk are involved in. Uh, Ken. That's a compliment to Stephen Kenny, by the way. In the first division this weekend on Friday night, it is at Lone against Waterford. Cabantini take on Cove Ramblers. Drogheda meet Limerick. And Shelburne take on UCD. As always, if we didn't talk about your club this week, you're right to be paranoid. It's because we don't rate you. Minos. Minos. But ra- rate, rate us if, if you can, because we already said it a few times. Yes, iTunes, just iTunes. Go on, help us out and not be on begging. Oh, thanks. Cheers. At my house. Oh, you're too kind. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, and you're five stars as well. Oh, you're so good. We'll talk to you next week. Stop it. Thank you very much. Goodbye.